Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show. And today I want to bring to you a special guest, Dr. Bridget Y. Williams. And she's a PhD in a CSAC SAP DOT. And don't panic. What that means is she's a PhD. We all know that. She's a doctor. And she's a substance abuse and addictions counselor and um, a substance abuse professional. And you know, the, the fact is that she's a very special woman, and I met her at an event um, some time ago with our f- good friend Steve Maxwell, who's been on this podcast before, and he's running for sheriff down in Spotsylvania County. And we met, and I was told, I had a number of people at the event say, hey, you got to talk to this lady and hear her story. It's an unfortunate story that she's going to share about um, her husband and what happened to him. And we're going to talk about... Uh, her event, this tragic event, and what it has meant for her. And ultimately, it highlights the lack of you know, help that uh, widows get. And we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about what this means for Virginia and really the nation in general, because this is something that a lot of people forget about. And um, we've tried to get her on the show for quite a while now, and just scheduling conflicts. Uh, it, it wasn't working out, but she's here, and she's here in person. And this is one of the few uh, interviews that I've done in person, and I'm really excited that she's here. And so, Dr. Williams, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so very much for inviting me. And yes, you're right. It's been crazy trying to get me scheduled in, and you know, I'm used to all of the craziness. So, uh, I, I, you know, I had faith. I knew we were going to meet up together, and I'm, I'm just so honored just to be able to kind of come on your podcast and tell my story. And and by the way, I want to add too, um, I don't just do substance abuse. You know, I had my um, my master's degree was actually um, as a mental health therapist. So I am a mental health therapist, but my specialty is is substance abuse. But, um, you know, I do, a, um, my background is very broad and vast at best. But anyway, um, but again, thank you again for inviting me onto the show. Um, you know, my, my story of my husband's death um, it's it's been it's been on my mind for like three years. Um, my husband unexpectedly passed away in 2019. April the eighth is when I took him actually off of life support. Now keep in mind the week prior before um, that Friday that he um, fell and took ill, um, we were actually on vacation. We literally had planned out our whole retirement. The retirement, my husband and I, he was like, okay, honey, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to retire. And we need to make sure we do this, 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 and that. Actually, to be honest with you, we kind of got into an argument because I was like, we're on vacation. Why are we talking about retirement? Um, but he was, a, he was a very methodical man. And, you know, he wanted to make sure that everything was all taken care of. And, um, you know, and so uh, he was just really just hell been determined we're going to get this all written out um and so anyway so we planned out the whole retirement and we enjoyed our vacation and we came home on a friday and um and i had walked into some other little small bad news but i'm not even going to bring that up today but anyway um and we actually another piece about my husband um he had literally that saturday picked up his certification he had just finished taking an exam to become a professional christian coach and he was going to come and work in my office with me because of um he had told me that he was really tired because this was his second retirement 
that he was working on. Um, he was running the HR department for the IRS. And um, so he was working on his second retirement. And he had told me, actually, while he was on vacation, he said, I'm really tired. I just don't really want to do this anymore. I need a change. And so um, I-, I was in full agreement with that, um, of him, uh, you know, leaving the IRS. And um, But he literally had just picked up the certification that it was sent him in the mail and he also picked up the nameplate um, to go on the desk I still have it to this day um, but anyway so what actually you know happened as the week went on um, prior going up to his death of that Friday and I remember my husband and I, we had a thing with us, um, you know, at least every time he'd get home in the evenings, we would actually sit down in the evenings together in our den and we would talk and see how our day was. But that particular Friday, um, normally my husband, we had two houses. He worked out of one because he was hybrid. He also had PTSD, he was 90% disabled. And so he was a Schedule A employee. So they allowed him to work from home the majority of the time. But he'd go into D.C. at least twice a week. Well, that Thursday, you know, obviously he got up, he'd do the same routine. He'd get up in the morning, cut the lights on, and he'd sit at the edge of the bed and have a conversation with me, and uh, I'd be like groggy. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But I knew that he was getting up, and uh, he'd leave. He'd go to the other house, and it was a small little dinky house. It wasn't a big house. It was enough for it to make it for office space, and that's all it was used for, storage and office space. And so we talked. He kissed me on my forehead, and he left. Um, then um, later on um, that Thursday, um, going into the evening, um, matter of fact, it was probably about nine o'clock that night. I knew he was at the other house because he had a routine. He'd, he'd get up, he'd stay at our house, and then he'd go to the other house, sleep at the other house on Thursday night because he had to get up really early on Friday. So he said to you know, save on a headache and waking me up, he'd stay over there and he'd get up early in the morning and go directly into the IRS. Um, that particular night, um, for some reason, um, him and I, we talked briefly earlier that day. Um, but then what happened was uh, he, um, I ended up calling him because I had gotten some bad news about my sister. My sister had had a stroke. And so I called him and I said, um, honey, oh my gosh, she said my sister had a stroke. And um, I said, yeah, I'm really upset about it. And we talked seriously, maybe about 15 minutes about her, you know, about her having a stroke. And I remember him saying, um, his last words to me were, he said, okay, honey. He said, look, um, I'm kind of tired. He said, but good night. I'll see you tomorrow. And that was it. So leading um, into Friday, um, obviously, you know, obviously he must have gotten up. Now, he had a routine here. He was a very godly man. He was he, he believed in the Lord. And um, and this is how I know this, because we had an altar, like a, a prayer altar at the other house. And I knew he had prayed for me because the prayer was actually sitting on the altar and he prayed for something and he fold the paper up and he put a rock on it. So that prayer he did for me, which was early in the morning, and he had jotted it down in his journal. That was his routine. He did that early that morning. Well, the day moved on. Obviously, I didn't have the need to have to call him. What happened was um, I'm sitting in a den waiting for him. Um, the reason why I have very good memory on this one is because I had a client 
I was doing a couples therapy session by virtual. It was at seven o'clock. And by the time I was done, he probably would have been walking in the house between seven thirty, eight o'clock. And I was like, wow, where's, where's he at? And time moved on. Another hour went by. I'm like, where in the world? So I text him, didn't get an answer, didn't get a phone call, didn't get nothing. Then what happened was um, my younger son um, had called me up and he said, Mom, he said, um, I, I got a phone call, um, you know, from um, Desiree. And I was like, now Desiree is my um, husband's brother's daughter, which lived in Tennessee. And this is crazy how this transpired. And I said, well, what, how, did you, how did you get a hold of her? He said, well, um, she contacted me through via Facebook. Why? Because they didn't have our number. Who didn't have our number? They didn't have our number. Who's they? And he said, well, there's something wrong with dad. Well, what is wrong with dad? They said that he took ill or he got sick. He's in the hospital. And so I said, well, hmm, that's kind of strange. That's the way I looked at it. This is kind of odd. This is really odd. So I tried to get in contact with some people, and I couldn't get in contact with anybody. And so he, um, I said, son, do me a favor. Go try to maybe make a couple of more phone calls. See if you can get a little bit more information. So um, he did contact his uncle. His uncle said, you know, you need to come up here. You know, your dad is sick. You know, he said it doesn't look good. And again, I, the light bulb didn't pop on that it was something serious because I didn't think it was because I had just talked to him that night prior before. I thought everything was fine. Um, and so um, he said, well, mom, he said, let me. Now, my son lives in Northern Virginia. He was much more closer to him than I was um, where he was located at. And so he said, well, mom, let me let me try to. Um, get in the car and see what I can do and and I'll let you know what's going on. Now we're going into almost nine o'clock now. Um and eventually he ended up calling me back and says, Mom, I don't know what hospital he's at. What do you mean you don't he said, Well I, I went I went to the hospital. They said they don't have anybody by that name. I said, Well then then call your uncle back. Well in the meantime, I'm still waiting still calling his cell phone. Nobody responded still. And so then uh, I ended up getting a phone call from his sister. Well, I'm thinking to myself, like, what is really going on? And so she said, well, um, we've been trying to contact you all day long. And um, obviously Kevin is sick. I said, well, how did you get the news? And she said, well, something about that the job contacted her. This is how crazy and disjointed this thing was. Um, she said, well, apparently his job tried to contact me. They contacted me. I guess they called her old job, which she ain't work, worked at that place since Jesus was a baby. She had left the area, left uh, D.C. almost 10 years ago. So it was crazy. It was like a jigsaw puzzle to get a hold, um, to get a hold of her. And, um, and I'm still thinking to myself, well, why don't you have my number? Why didn't you have any of our children's number? It didn't make any sense. And so um, she just said, well, you know, I, all I can tell you is that he's sick and um, I'm trying to get up there. I know Mark is already up there, which we was talking about my brother-in-law. So my son ended up calling me back again. And um, 
he he said, Mom, okay, I found him. I said, so was he up on his name? No, he's not up on his real name. But what is his real, what are you talking about? He's up under a studio name. Well, what's the studio name? G.W. Murray. Well, what in the world? What in the world is going on? So, um, he, you know, he finally, I guess, must have made it upstairs to where he was. He was in ICU. And um, my, uh, he ended up calling me back again. He says, Mom, it's, it's, it's really bad. And I said, um, okay. I said, do I need to come up there? You need to come up here. So, I mean, it's late. It's really late. And I'm, I'm just like in a daze at this point because I'm like, am I dreaming? What is really going on? So my other son, you know, drove with me up there to D.C. And um, <clears throat> I totally forgot to give them the, the studio name because I did not know. I, I just, you know, said you know, I'm here to see Kevin R. Williams Sr. And it was like, we don't have anybody here by that name. So I had to end up making a phone call back to my son, which was in the hospital. I said, what is the name I need to give them? He said, G.W. Murray. And I said, okay. So, because they wouldn't even let me upstairs because he said that wasn't his name. I'm like, do you know this name G.W. Murray is that well, I'm mean ex- anything I'm going to explain I'm going to explain a okay. little bit as, as it, we, so it didn't just come out of the blue it, it means something it means something right so when I finally got to the hospital you know everybody's sitting outside of the ICU room and my son was crying it's his mom it's just really bad and I said um, you know how bad is it's mom it's, it's really bad so when I uh you know, went into the room. They didn't even have my information up on the board, you know, and I I'm actually spoke with the nurse and um, and she said, well, who are you? I said, I am his wife. And she said, well, I am so glad to see you. And I said, well, why, why do you have GW Mary on my husband's door? And she says, well, he came in without any ID. And so what does that mean? She said, that's why we'll give a studio name when we don't know who the person is. We give a studio name. Well, the story gets even bizarre. And so, you know, at this time. So, so this is a name the hospital gave him. Right. Okay. They, it, they just give him a name. They gave him a name. Okay. So um, it's just to me, it was just surreal. It was just so surreal. And I'm like, what happened to my husband? And and she said something to the effect. She said, let me call the doctor in and you can have a conversation with the doctor. And the doctor came in and we spoke and he had said, you know, unfortunately, um, your husband, um, you know, obviously he had a major heart attack. And um, there were bits, bits and pieces of the story was really odd, you know, as I'm going to get a little further into it. And, um, and he said, and, and right now he's in pretty bad shape. Um, you know, we've had to kind of double the drugs up on him, which I could clearly could see he was on life support. And I mean, I said, but, but, but he's breathing. He said, but that's the machine. You know, he's, he's in pretty bad shape. And, um, and so we, you know, we talked a little bit more and, um, and he just said, well, you know, I'm, you know, I got to go back up on the other floor. He says, but I am here. He said, but we'll talk um, later about a little bit more about what's really going on and to see exactly what would you like to do and how do you want to proceed from here. And um, 
And I, I, Mike, I was just in shock just to see him because he was a shell and I didn't understand. I just spoke to this man the night prior before and I'm like, what in the world is going on? He was not a sick man. He was not sick at all. Man was healthy, ate better than all of us in the house. I mean, he just, and it just didn't make any sense. Um, I knew he was tired of working at the IRS, but it, it, it was just strange. Um, I, I'm going to um, cut through a little bit of the chase. I stayed with him for three days. Now, this is Friday, you know, that it was looking pretty bad. Saturday, we were, I waited around. Maybe something would change. And I noticed every time they would move him that the heart rate would just, just plummet. It would just fall down. Um, and I remember talking with the doctor, and I begged him. I said, is it something that we can do? And he just said, you know, I want to give you any promises. He said, it's, it's pretty bad. Now, I did not know how bad it was until years later now that I'm, I've been trying to get answers that the heart attack was, it was called a widow maker. The heart attack was so bad it had broke away his limbic system in the back um, and that there was no brain activity. There was nothing that was there because they waited too long. Um, to put paddles on him to bring him back. People have had Widowmakers before, and as long as you got the right equipment, you can bring that person back very quickly, which makes me wonder what was going on at the IRS building because that's a long story within itself. So, you know, this is Saturday, and the doctor, you know, um, I said, well, can we do a brain scan on him? And he says, look, I don't want to make any promises, I, I called him the doctor of bad news all the time. He said, I don't want to make any promises. He says, but I would do this for you. And I could tell um, they were so concerned about my mental health and well-being that um, they called in an emergency chaplain to comfort me and be with me. And, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I cried and begged and pleaded. And, you know, the more they moved him, you know, the more he just he kept plummeting and and, um, and all they could do was just barely move him, you know, to make sure that either the machine keep him going and everything else. Um, I asked him, I said, where is his, you know, where was his items at? And I eventually, you know, I'm speaking with his boss by via phone and text. Now, he had indicated to me that the, when he had the heart attack, he made it sound like as though that he was there. That was not true. There were a lot of things that were lies that were told. He said that there was a woman that was there when he fell ill and that she ran for help. That was a lie. Because when I pulled the records, it, was, it said bystanders. Um, not only that, um, there were um, the hospital, based on their notes, they're trying to say, now he had a phone that, if you didn't have passcode, you couldn't get into. Um, he, it wasn't the one which you could do the finger, you know, because we could have did his finger because obviously his hands was blood was still flowing, flowing through his veins. We could have done that, but he didn't do that. So you had to have a passcode. You couldn't even get around that passcode. So when I read these notes coming from the hospital, saying literally clears a bell, stating that they was able to get into the phone and call his sister. That is a lie. Let me tell you why. We had, when we finally got a hold of that phone, we tried everything underneath the sun 
we could not get around that phone. The phone wasn't even there. I'm like, so what phone did she call his sister from? Another thing, I know my husband. He did not have a phone where you put down mother, brother, sister, you know. He wouldn't put things down like that. So how did you know that was his sister? That didn't make any sense. None of that made any sense. So when I began to read the papers later on through the years, two years in trying to get an investigation, I said, that was a lie. And that's that's in writing coming from the hospital. There were a lot of things that were misrepresented when it came to his death. Um, but, you know, going um, forward here, they did the brain activity on him and there was nothing that was there. And I'll never forget, I'd slept in a chair for three days, you know, hoping and praying that he would come back or maybe there'd be some kind of activity or something. And he didn't. He didn't come back. Um, And it was a hard decision to make. It was a very hard decision to make. I'm looking at a man I spoke to two days, three days down going in. It was nothing wrong with him. And the man just died. And I had no answers, but yet I'm getting text messages of a different story and his boss saying one thing. His boss said that another boss stayed with him there at the hospital the whole that Friday, which I found out that was a lie. That wasn't even true. But when I had to make the decision um, to finally make a decision to come to peace with them and take them off of life support, you know, I have to give the hospital a little bit credit here. They... They were um, so understanding and sympathetic, empathetic towards me. Um, the doctor, normally when I see you, they, they limit the people. What they did, they shut off that whole portion of that wing because they could just tell this woman is in shock. I know they were so worried about my mental health, my well-being there, um, that they shut that hold. They brought in food. They brought in water, whatever. What, what do you need, you know, um, and, you know, even the doctor had said, however long it takes for you to make a decision, you don't have to make a decision now. If it takes you a week, whatever that it takes, I want this to be your decision. Um, and I, I know I had a discussion, you know, with my sons and um, I didn't want to, you know, I probably really could have pulled the plug really that Friday, but I wanted to make sure that everything was addressed. Did I try this? Did I try this? Did I try that? Now, you know, this is 31 years of marriage. This is somebody, you know, I've been with since the age of 16. So this is my whole high school, my whole life. It's been with me my whole life, basically, as a teenager. And, um, and so my, my kids, they said they understood. And so we um, finally, I made the decision to take him off of life support um, that Monday. So that's three days of, of just terror, of begging, pleading, just crying. And, and it's not easy. It wasn't easy to make that decision when knowing that a lot of stuff didn't make sense to me. None of it did. And so um, I made the decision. We took him off the life support, and he he was gone within seconds because mm. technically he was already dead. I think that they just said, this woman is fragile. We cannot tell her this. You right, know, right. Um, we're worried about her mental health. We can't tell her this. So we'll just let her make the decision. We'll comfort her. We'll do whatever we need to do for her. 
but let her make this decision on her own. And he was gone. We looked, talking seconds. Like, he was, like, took that last breath and he was gone. And, um, you know, it was a lot because, you know, I run a private practice and, uh, you know, you know, my staff members had just met my husband. They had just met him. They had never met him. And um, and they were like in shock. It's like, I can't believe we just talked to this man. Nobody could believe it. And um, I, I just, I, I think I, I lived in a fog for a long time. Um, I don't even know how I got through his funeral because, you know, he was a Civil War reenactor. He actually played in Oh, Abraham. wow. <laughs> he was a Civil War reenactor. Um, he, was, he was a history nut. He, he loved history. And so that was like his second life, you know, because he wanted to become a history teacher. So he became a Civil War reenactor. He um, helped start that. Um, they still have it to this day, a black um, uh, Union soldier um, regiment that they have in the Fredericksburg um, area that they still have it to this day. Um, I know they're going to be dedicating his um, whole uniform and his gun and things of that nature at the John J. Wright um, um, historical building. So we haven't, um, we've been trying to put that together, but due to COVID, we have not been able yeah. to do that. Um, but yeah, they played, um, you know, his troops were in the Abraham Lincoln movie. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was bigger than life. People loved my husband. Um, he was a big golf player, loved golf. Um, but anyway, he, you know, um, wanted to do a lot of things, um, for the veterans, um, at my office and, um, it didn't even, you know, it didn't come into fruition. So somewhere in the midst of all of this, I said, God, none of this makes any sense. You know, how could this have happened? But I got through. So we had, I did a combination of a civil war um, and military funeral together. Um, it was beautiful the way we did it. Um, what we did, we made it so that when we came to the um, grave site, the civil war um guys they pulled him out of the actual um um pull him out of the actual what he called it the the um hearse and then they marched him up to a certain point in quantico and then the soldiers took over it and they handed him over to the soldiers um I, it was a beautiful beautiful uh, ceremony that i put together and so after all of that it transpired um you know mike i don't even know how i made it through the first year the first year, I think I was in complete shock. I still had answers. I couldn't get any answers. I did write um, President Trump, our um, former president, because there were a lot of things that didn't make any sense. So um, I took him off of life support on April the 8th and you know had his funeral a week later. Um, I wrote a letter to President Trump because I had some concerns. Some things didn't seem right. Um, and told him what my concerns were. And um, his administration, which I had a friend that worked, that used to work in his office, she said, I am sorry. She said, I think if Trump would have saw your letter, he would have personally, he would have had them contact you or what have you. Now, I do actually have a real, authentic, not a rubber stamp, authentic letter that my friend that worked in the office, which made it so she gave it to Pence, which gave it to President Trump. He literally wrote a actual real letter to me, you know, um, 
uh, a letter, you know, giving him my, giving me his condolences pertaining to my husband's death. He, he literally signed it. The ink, the ink came through the paper. Wow. Um, yes, I wow. got it all framed up at home. But she said, I think what happened was one of the other people, they probably read the letter. If my complaint was about the IRS, why would you, why would you send the letter to the IRS? Doesn't make any sense. Um, and we talking, that was in June. Why does it take until December? And let me tell you how insensitive they were. Now, I'm still grieving. I'm in deep grief. Now, they, you mean the IRS. The IRS. Okay, yeah. A letter came to me two days before Christmas. Came by Federal Express. A letter that was thrown together. All of the questions that I had in that one letter. The letter that they sent me had much to say about nothing. It was much more of a defense letter for their own selves. I don't even know who the person that signed it. I have no idea who they were. They threw something together, said, we're so sorry for your loss. We, you know, we cared about Kevin. He was a miss, a miss person. He was valuable to our team, yada, yada, yada. But they never, ever responded to any of my questions. And I thought that was rather insensitive to send that two days before Christmas. Mm. Didn't care. It took you six months, six months to respond. Explain that one to me. Make that make sense. Can I ask you a question? Sure. When this happened, did, was there a, like his boss, I know you had some texting and, and some phone calls, but did anybody come and meet with you in person? Here we go. His boss never came directly to me. Now, I did invite his boss to my husband's funeral. He did help also put him in the hearse, you know. He did do that. At that point, he left. Now, another thing, I never got my husband's belongings. I never got his belongings at all. Also, there were a lot of things that were very strange about his death. He didn't even die in the location. They found him in some other strange area location in the other part of the building that that had nothing to do with what his work was all about, which there were a lot of things that were just odd about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so... It, none of it made any sense. And I never got any answers. Nobody made a phone call. Nobody made nothing. I got that one, I'll call it an irrelevant letter, which was sent to me two days before Christmas. And when I read it, I was like, wow. The funny thing about it was my husband's birthday was November the 4th. You know, you know when that letter was written? November the 6th. Mm. How disrespectful can you be? You wait that long. Yeah. It was disrespectful. All that time went on, and I was very upset about it, and I cried about that letter. I continue on a campaign writing letters. Now, my representative, Spanberger, Congress member Spanberger, I wrote her a letter, sent emails. I've got an email trail coming from her office. Nobody has done nothing at that time. Recently, I had a small, a little bit of information that have come from them, but, you know, this is where I'm kind of frustrated, um, Mike. I'm sick of these politicians. This is what they do. Once they get your vote, mm. they don't care nothing else about you. And here's another thing. I am now a widow. Never expected to be a widow. I'm now fighting for the widows and widowers to our veterans. 
Because, you know, 0.33% die in combat. So when you talk about it, when you think about a widow to a veteran, everybody thinks about a ghost star member. Okay. Now, I'm not being disrespectful when I make this comment. 0.33% die in combat. Mm-hmm. They're going to be okay because you know why? Everybody surrounds them with all support that they get. Literally. They get a little bit. They get close to a million dollars. I think it's like. Five hundred, I think it's uh, $500,000 or something of that nature that they get. For Gold Star? Uh, uh, yeah. Members, Mother, yeah. Mm-hmm. wife, father, what have you. They get that. They're good. Somebody may say, but they lost their loved one. Yeah, I got it. But guess what? You can move on, though. Do you realize when my husband passed away, I learned that I was on my own. We were in the middle of remodeling our home. And I'm sitting here looking at some hardwood floors that I got to try to install by myself. A home that's in disarray because we were remodeling everything. I didn't know how I was going to get through anything. You know, they talk about no soldier left behind. I call the Wounded Warrior Project. He was a member of that. Couldn't get any help. Because it's interesting. I learned a whole lot. Nobody has nothing out here for the widow when when that veteran died. Nobody cares about that widow anymore. They don't care. I had to fight for his benefits. I had to fight for some kind of help. I had to fight for everything there was out there. But trust me, there was no help. I had politicians lie to me about Mm -hmm. what they were going to do, and they did absolutely nothing. And that's why I am on a campaign right now, writing and fighting for all of my widows and widowers. And it's interesting that I, you know, um, have actually... um, Working on a pack, and I'm gonna, and we're naming it um, No Widow Left Behind because we are left behind. Because the majority of most veterans, they retire. And once they retire, you don't hear anything else from them. But most politicians will use that springboard word, we're, we're putting together a package for the widows. Oh, no, for the veterans, for the veterans. You're always talking about a veteran, but you don't talk about that widow. Does anybody think about that widow when they're gone? I think that one of the problems is that there's an organization known as America American Veterans Vote. You you probably are familiar with them. They're out here. Um, uh, retired Army General Bob Wood runs it. And one of the things that he talks about is the need to have more veterans in public office. Because when you look at Congress, in, in all the state legislatures across the country, the percentage of veterans who are in office is very, very small. And so a lot of these these politicians who are not veterans, they will say that because, like you said, they want your vote. But they've never been there. They've never been in that situation. They've never experienced firsthand what you're talking about. And I think that's one of the reasons why we need more veterans in office, people who've had some skin in this game, some people who are vested in this, and they've experienced that, and they know what they're talking about. Because the, the, the politician that you just mentioned, I don't think she has any experience in actually serving the nation. Um, if I'm wrong on that, correct no. me. I don't think she has. No, and, she not. I think her father um, served in the military, but other than yeah, that. Yeah, but you know what? And I hear that from a lot of, I hear, I, one of my pet peeves is when I hear politicians say, I am the daughter of a veteran. I'm a daughter, uh, uh, you know, a, a son or a, a, um, 
a daughter of somebody who served in the military. I don't buy that. Uh, my dad was a dentist, okay? But I don't think you want me doing any dental work on you. Right. The fact that my daughter, my, my father was a dentist doesn't mean I know anything about dentistry. And um, I don't surmise that both of my children um, are going to say, well, I understand what milita- military people go through because my dad and my mom were in the Navy. My wife and I were both in the Navy. Um, no. But you weren't in the Navy and those types of things. Anyway, that's just kind of an aside there that I think that that's part of it. Because, you know, somebody like me, when you tell me this story, it really does get my blood boil because I am a veteran. Uh, in fact, a Navy veteran like like your mm-hmm. husband. Um, I, it really is. It really rings true for people like us. Right. But not for these politicians. Well, well the, also now, I, I don't I'm not against veterans running for office. I, 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 I'm, I'm all for that. But here's my problem with that. You get these veterans, they get in office. Again, I'm going to use the word again. Does any, is anybody talking about the widows and widowers to those to those veterans when they pass away? Or veterans when they get in office, all right, have you, what have you created for the widows and widowers? That's my problem. That's what they'll do. They'll go in there. We're going to create all these things for the veterans. Again, who's speaking for the widow and widower? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And I have not heard it. I've not heard anyone on the campaign trail talking about widows. And I think it's an important, it is, it is. it's an important issue. And, and talking about, uh, most people think about the Gold Star families. And I think that you're absolutely right about that. There are so many more deaths in the military. Suicide is yes. a big issue, mm-hmm. you know? More people die from suicide than than die in, in combat. Mm-hmm. What are we doing for those families? I think it's getting better. I think we're doing more and more for those families. Uh, the culture is changing a bit, but not near enough. No, it's what about not. Uh, people that die in training accidents? Right. You know, th- those types of things. And those are, I mean, to, to you as a family member, does it really matter to you whether your family member died in combat or training exercise or they committed suicide or any of those types of things. Those, it, it still hurts. And you still expect the service in the government that they were serving, that family member was serving, to help the family out. We always talk about our military families. And I've, I've talked about this before, that you know if you're in this business, whether it's law enforcement or the military, you're part of the family until you're not part of the family. Right. And when you're not part of the family, you're really not part of the family. And that mm-hmm. needs to change. Right. That really does need to change. Absolutely. The people, uh, particularly since it's such a small number of people, percentage-wise, in this country that actually serve in the military. It is. And it's an all-volunteer force. Yes. And so for the men and women that come forward, and the families, right. because the families sacrifice as well, we need to do more for those families. Yeah. Because it's so few. This entire country is full of people that are reaping the benefits of the very few that are serving this country. And we owe it to these people to take care of them and their their families. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing that really uh, got my uh, blood boiling was um, I ended up calling because I I, I didn't have any help. I I didn't have any support. Uh, Like I said, I caught one politician lying to me, lied to my face, straight up lied to me. And, um, you know, my my thing was I ended up calling them. What? The one, the guy that give away the free houses. What is his name? Um, Tunnels for Towers. I end up calling them because, again, I'm looking at a house that got started 
And now I'm sitting here. What am I going to do? I could not find anybody to help me. Eventually, I ended up having to. And it took a while for me to get those benefits. So I've lost a a large portion of my income now. um, And I got to figure out how I was going to survive. And so I ended up having to lay wooden floors, me and my son, um, I have three sons. One son is it is in the United States Navy, um, and I have my other two sons. One he lives in Northern Virginia, and one he lives close by. But you know that son and I, we ended up laying laying the wooden floors ourselves. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Where is the help? So I remember I end up calling Tunnels for Towers, and I said, look, I want to know, is there a chance that maybe. I can get you guys maybe to help me lay my floors. And uh, and the guy, I remember, whoever I was speaking to on the other, other side, number one, he had said, well, did, you, did your husband die in combat? No, he did not. Then it was like, well, um, do you have any children at home? No, I don't have any children at home. But those, those are the only people we help. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm thinking to myself, I won't give you a quarter, not a quarter. There is no help out there, Mike. No help. I didn't know how I was going to pay my mortgage. I had to have three estate sales to sell the other house, to get rid of all that stuff. I went through pure hell with no support. And I was writing letters to all these politicians and this one and that one and this one and that one. No Body stepped up to the plate. Again, it's not like I'm a ghost star member, you know, that they're taken care of. But that that's not reality. That is not the reality for the widow and widower to your average veteran. When they pass away, nobody cares. We're silenced at that point. But all you hear is about as a gold star member. And my goal of it is I am on a campaign trail. And my thing is I want to be at somebody's round table. Now, the cool thing about it was um, I decided to make a change. First of all, husband, he was a disabled veteran. And um, he had he had a specialized tag. His tag represented his um, career. Now, one thing I'll give um, Governor um, Glenn Youngkin credit for, um, which, you know, me and Delegate um, Philip Scott, again, he's my neighbor, but, you know, he happened to win and I helped him win. Him and I, we had talked just long hours about what I wanted to do. And he says, look, you help me win. We're going to pass some bills together. Cause I told him, I said, I'm leaving a legacy behind. I got more numbers in front of me than I got behind me. I said, so I want to make it. So when I pass that I'm leaving, when I leave this planet, I left something that was going to pass on to every other person. Because I want everybody to benefit from it. So I actually, it was because of me in the state of Virginia. Now, somebody may say, well, she didn't do anything special. Yes, I did. Here's the deal. At the DMV, for you to be able to keep that disabled veteran tag, number one, there's many criterias. Either you had to have served in the military. If your spouse passed away, he was a veteran. Either you had to have either had served in the military yourself. Or number two, was your name on the registration form? Mine's was neither one. So they told me at that time when I, I mean, cause he had a beautiful truck. I still got it. I don't even claim it as mine, but I keep it and everything else. Um, when I went to DMV, they told me, he says, well, unfortunately, um, I said, cause I want to keep this tag. I'm going to keep the tag on the truck. Um, they said, well, unfortunately, when they gave me those two criteria, they said, well, you can't keep the tag. I said, you serious? This is no, you cannot. 
You've got to turn it in. Now, I did learn this. It depends on what county you lived in. The rules were for different counties. So this is what we did. I helped um, Philip Scott and I, we sat down, we talked. I helped put that bill together. And what I said was, I want to make it so that this is going to go completely across the whole state of Virginia now. So everything is going to be, it's going to make sense to everybody across the board. It's going to be uniform. Uniform. Yeah. That's it. Uh-huh. Uniform across the whole state. So it's not like it's just That would make sense here. to me that we would have one standard for the state. Right. Yeah. But, it, but it wasn't. So that bill, when it when he passed that bill, that bill actually, it was because of me. <laughs> We're able to keep now the disabled veteran tag. We're able to keep it as widows and widowers. We're now, as long as we own that vehicle, we get to keep that tag. Or also, until we get married, we get to keep that tag. I thought that was a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And so the governor, he recognized me um, on Veterans Day. He did a major ceremony in Richmond. And um, actually, I was standing when he signed the bill. There was a beautiful picture of me. And I'm standing with the lieutenant governor and um, the attorney general. And I was standing next to the governor. And he actually presented it before me and handed me a pen and everything else. And we took a nice, the pen beautiful that he signed picture. The bill with. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, um, That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and, um, and I told him, I said, oh, my gosh, because I wrote him a letter. I was like, oh, my gosh, you read my letter? And he whispered to me, said, I read all my letters. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so blown away. And yeah. so um, well, I now. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I have another bill that's coming through now. And again, everything I do is for the widows and widowers. Um, you know, you know, the armed force tags, mm-hmm. that bill, um, uh, me and uh, uh, Delicate Scott, we've already written that bill out. That will be passed coming into next year and we'll be able to now keep that tag as well. Um, I am also working on our own specialized tag that it will say disabled veteran spouse tag. Uh, And so I have to garner 450 votes coming from um, either people that are either their widows themselves and have them prepay for that tag in advance for me in order for me to get that bill passed. So I'm going to have to try to contact some people and see if I can get some people to help me rally around for us to have our own specialized tag as well. So I'm I'm working on that as well, too. Wow. Congratulations on that. And I think that it is such important work that you're doing. I really do. And I'm very concerned about the families with members um, that that are victims of suicide. Yes. I mean, and we've got to do more and more. And that ties into, um, you know, really preventing this from happening in the first place, but providing assistance to the families. Because Mm -hmm. that, as you know, uh, particularly as a counselor, those families are never the same after oh, that no, happens, they're not. and we just don't do enough Mm-mm. to to, no. to take care of these folks. No, they don't. And so it's this it, this is an issue that you're yes. working on that I think that it most is. people it don't even think about. Like we all see the the veterans. You know, we see this here in Virginia. I know each state is different, but here in Virginia, you do see a lot of you know vanity tags, and specialized yep. tags. And I think that we kind of take them for granted. I know that I take them for granted. I I have to say, I'm one of those people that really never put a lot of thought into it. Yes. And I would have just assumed Mm -hmm. that you you could get one of those tags. Right. And it takes someone, unfortunately, going through what you went through to highlight that this is not so. And this is, to me, Mm -hmm. this is an easy fix. Yes. And I'm so glad that the governor did that because 
this is something that really means a lot to the person. Yes, it does. But from the, the perspective of the government to make it happen mm-hmm. is not that difficult. It's not. It's not. But you know, you know what it is too, Mike. If, if it, it's like this, mm-hmm. if it's not happening into your home, it doesn't matter. Right. But something unfortunate happened in my life, and I believe God, he just propelled me to the next level and made it so that, hey, look, if you don't like it, do something about it. You be the instrument, and I'm going to be the instrument, and I am the instrument. And so, again, I'm going to pass every bill, and every bill that I pass, it's all for my widows and widowers. Another beautiful thing that what I've done, um, I was in the middle of writing a book before my husband passed away. And so it's called the Shepherd's Pie. Um, Mm. You can get it off of Amazon. Actually, you can call my office to get a copy of it. Oh, it's complete. It's out there now. Oh, it's out there now. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. The Shepherd's Pie. The Shepherd's Pie. Um, And so... Every um, aspect of that book, any proceeds, all proceeds go directly towards my widows and widowers. I actually, every Wednesday at one o'clock, I actually um, provide free therapy for my widows and widowers. Wow. So every book that's purchased, they those proceeds go towards their therapy. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was something that I made a promise to God. I said, God, you know, um, I want to make it so that I give, I give of myself whole to my widows and widowers because I, I'm there. I am there in their shoes right now. And um, I don't want another widow to be left behind to be, to make feel as though that they're not important. And I have felt that I was, nobody cared anything about me as a widow or widower. And let me tell you what really got my panties in a wad when somebody, <laughs> when somebody would say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I understand, you know, when I lost my dad. And I want to scratch their eyes out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is your husband at home? Is your wife at home? Yeah. Well, then when you lose them, then you have a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, you don't understand. I get up every morning and I don't have a spouse. Mm-hmm. I get up to a dog and a cat that's laying next to me. Yeah, I think that's the most insulting thing you could tell someone. You understand. I would rather for you to say, you know what? I am sorry for your loss. I don't understand, but I can empathize what it probably, what it feels like. Because I do, I have my spouse, and I know you don't. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is to, to live this world without your spouse. Because I had my dreams and hopes, and he was going to work at my office, and he's no longer there. And I still, I don't have any peace on his death. And this is why I'm hoping a politician is listening because I need help. I need an investigation on his death. Yeah. And so circling back to that, I don't understand what's going on there. I really don't. And I can tell you now I'm running for a state office, but I mean, whatever yes. power, you know, I would have to look at that, you know, you can't make weak, weak in the state legislature could make the IRS do anything. But I do hope that anybody else that's listening to this podcast really pushes the IRS to get answers because we, we can't have this. Um, I, I will tell you, because your, your problem, your issue with your husband and his investigation actually gets into really how things in the government are done in general. Right. I mean, what happened with your husband? I don't know. But that's the problem is we don't know whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether whether there's things that happened that were uncomfortable, that maybe, um, you know, maybe they're covering something up to, to cover up something that they did, maybe something that he did. Who knows? We don't know. That's the problem. You don't right. know the answer to it. Right. And I think that 
we des- you deserve answers. I do. And we need to have the, the government be accountable to this because somebody knows what happened. Somebody knows. And, and when you talked about the investigation and there were things like, okay, why is this in plural when you said that there was only one person there? This person says they were there and they weren't. You, right there, you know that there's things. You don't have to be a crack investigator to know there you go. That, that something doesn't add up here. And... Whether it's the inspector or inspector general's office, because every these every one of these federal agencies has an IG overseeing it, mm-hmm. or Congress can do an investigation, right. but somebody could do an investigation Absolutely. because if it happens with your husband, that's right, then it happens, you know, that's somewhere it. else. That's it. And a- I I Absolutely. can tell you that if if I was a federal leader, that would bother me because I yes. know as a as a leader, an elected leader. Um, and these agencies are accountable to the elected officials, and I think that they forget that a lot of times. Absolutely. That's where the money comes from. And yep. I and I would pull these agencies in and say, you need to understand something. This will be done, and we want a proper and thorough investigation done, or... You know what? I think you right. guys have forgotten who you work for. There you go. You Absolutely. Are, we, we handle the money. You That's know, right. The, what we have is the power of the money over your organization. Mm-hmm. And then we answer to the people. Right. And we want, want that answer. And I'm starting to see that. And IRS put aside, I'm starting to see that with a lot more federal officials. You know, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and not to get off on a tangent. That's but, I mean, okay. I'll just give an example. Director Ray, mm-hmm. who refuses to answer questions from the Judiciary Committee and, and all the over. Oversight committees refusing to answer this, and you have FBI agents, assistant directors that get up there and talk back to Congress people. Uh, I tell you, if I was in Congress, I, I would just lay them out and just say, yes. "I think you're forgetting who you work for. I, you work for us. We don't work exactly. for you." Exactly. If we if we start lighting these people up and letting them know who they work for, I guarantee you. Right. You know, I, I had a friend. <laughs> A friend that made a comment, she uh, she cracked me up. She said, you know what, just take like these sequesters when they want to they wanna make it so they furlough everybody while Congress continue in the Senate, they keep getting their paycheck. She said, you know, if you take away their paycheck, trust me, they'll have the answer for world peace. They'll have the... <laughs> They have right. an answer for cancer because you ain't getting paid. That's right. the problem. Right. But see, but nobody is holding their feet to the fire. And this right here is what we should be doing. We because sh- you know what? In this this particular case with your, your husband, the way that I would look at it as an elected official is this should be kind of, and I'm saying this as a cop and an investigator, sure. you know, an FBI, former FBI agent. Um, this is not rocket science. Okay. Yes. We want to know what happened to this man. Yes. And you should be able to do this in a day or two. This is not, you know, we're not we're not carrying cancer here. What happened to this man? And if you can't do this, this simple task, if you can't give us the, these answers, then why should I trust you on anything else? You know, the IRS does some pretty complex tax collection and you know very fu- you know complex financial investigations. You can do that, right? But you can't find out what happened to this guy. A- absolutely. And let me, let me tell you okay, something, guys. I don't trust yeah. anything that comes out of your mouth. Absolutely. Well, what they wrote also here to add to add a caveat to that. You know, I remember if you think about it, they put in this letter. First thing they said, oh, we followed protocol because it was a defense mode letter. We followed protocol. You followed protocol. Really? And then they said, well, you know, we made sure that we make sure that things was updated every year. Well, if everything's updated every year, how was it you didn't have my phone number or my children's phone number? That's a lie right there. That was a lie. So which one is it? Okay, nobody has done a checks and balance on their behind. That's the problem. So I have a question, too. 
Sure. Um, so he goes to the hospital. The hospital has to give him, assign him a name because he doesn't have an ID. How is it that he ended up in the... So he's removed from an IRS facility. He goes to the hospital. Did nobody from the IRS accompany him to the hospital or go to the hospital and say, hey, this is one... Because I know this. I know this. Because uh, I was an FBI supervisor. Uh-huh. If one of my employees passed out or had a health issue right. on my floor, on my watch, mm-hmm. while I'm there, I'm they're working for me that day. Right. You be damn well better believe I'm going to the hospital to make sure that my because I know that my body at some point, if nothing else, even if, forget about the humanitarian right. part. That's what you should do as a human being. Absolutely, I know how my workplace was. Right, my boss would be asking me, "Hey, how is Bob doing?" Right. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you? Whoa, 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 whoa. Absolutely. One of your analysts collapsed and went to the hospital, and you don't know how he or she is doing. Yep. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. I I would want to know his status because I know somebody else is going to ask me the status. And so you're in the hospital. Well, hey, uh, hey, uh, Mike, uh, your employee here doesn't have an ID. Yeah, but that's Bob Smith. And, you know, he works for me. I've, you know, worked with him for a year. You know, here's his vitals. And, um, okay, we need to contact his wife. Oh, I don't have that on me, but uh, I'm going to track it down. and, And I'm going to call... Uh, the, the you know, because in our case, we would call FBI headquarters and we would eventually right. find somebody in HR that would be able to say his wife is here. Here's her phone number. This, you know, if nothing, even if we didn't have the phone number, we have an address. We know where he lives. Right. That's a requirement, by the way, is an employee. Right. My, my employer had to know where I lived. Well, right. how about this? Put somebody in a car and drive the hell down to Fredericksburg and track this woman down. There you go. Right. And nobody did. Are nothing. these people like not? Nobody. See, my boss would say to me, hey, Mike, if you can't get hold of his wife, go drive to the damn house. Exactly. Does he have any children? Go track them down. Exactly. And but but they want to convince me. Oh, yeah. Well, we did everything there was to do. Uh, You know, we went by proper protocol. And this right here is what was in his records. Seriously. You you, do you understand you just contradicted yourself? Mm -hmm. You're defending yourself, but out of a contradictory. Mm -hmm. If you say you uh, if. He was responsible for updating his stuff every year. Okay, then how was it that you did not know who I was? How was it that you didn't have his children's phone number? Now, somebody did say this. Well, you know, he doesn't have to put down all that information. Here's another piece. The man was 90% disabled. He had PTSD. I also wrote a letter when I was very elaborate with the president. I'm like, look, we need to change this. You have a man that's a Schedule A, which obviously is working for the IRS. Okay. We know he had accommodations to work. Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. He couldn't have a bad memory some days because of his PTSD. Right. So. Here's a, here's my concern. So you're going to try to tell me that he doesn't have to update anything because we can't make nobody update anything. I think you should. The man well, is well, hold on, disabled. Hold, hold up. Yeah, and yeah, so here, yeah. here's my point. They're going to try to say, well, but you can't make him update anything. I'm like, look, the man is a veteran. The man is 90% disabled. And you know what you need to do? You need to make it so when that man, when he gets up on that computer, you can't go no further. And somebody will make it so that we're going to check out everything, what you're putting down. And we're going to check it twice. And then before you can go any further, once we verify everything, boop, now you can get back into the system. Well, it, it, and I'm going to call BS on the IRS on this too. Okay, but let, let's just say for a moment he updated his th- and he chose not to put you on there. Let's let's just assume for a moment that he did that. Right. Do you know what? When you work there, 
you also have insurance. You have um, your retirement. I didn't get any of that, by the way. Yeah, no, but what, I, I, what I I'm saying is there's that. a lot of, there's a lot of, like if I had an employee, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of, when you go to HR, when you work for the federal government, there's a whole lot of information you have to provide over to uh, the organization, right? And then, and then mm-hmm. if nothing else, knowing that he's a, a veteran, correct? He's an Navy yes. veteran. Then how about this? You know, hey guys, put on your investigator cap a little bit. Hey, none of the information we have on this guy is correct. But well, you know what we know? He's a disabled vet. Let's call over to the veteran. Let's call to the VA. Let's call the Navy. What information do they have? I mean, you know, getting outside. Don't just go by the information you have. What exactly. do you know about this guy? Exactly. Hey, hey, you know something else we can do? What? How about this? Mm-hmm. You're just thinking out of that box. Mm-hmm. Does he have a driver's license? Yeah. That means... Now, the, that, that means the state of Virginia has got some information. You know, guys, how about putting some effort into this? He right? had, he he gets a P.O. box. He had a P.O. box. He he. And that's another thing. He was allowed to use a P.O. box on his driver's license. Yeah, but there's inf- but they still have information. OK, well, then go beyond that. Yes. OK. Uh, phone records. Hey, reach out. The IRS actually has. Uh, they actually have contacts uh-huh. over they at the FBI. See, they can see who he's been calling, communicating with the whole nine yards. You know, if you want to find, trust me, if the... Okay. They made no efforts. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Can we be honest? In the last few years, if the government wants to know where you are, where you've been, who you've been talking to, they find ways. Yes, they do. Okay. Do we do we not know that now for a fact? It, it's funny how when you want to come after somebody... For their political views, you'll find out anything you want. But when I need to track your wife down to let you, her know you're in the hospital, oh, it just seems a little too hard. Okay? Uh, it's it's amazing. But that's the government that we have right now. Absolutely. And that's what needs to change. It is. It does need to change. And like I said, I, I don't want another widow to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. And and it was awful. They, they were. I don't even know where his last paycheck went. It didn't come to me. It was a lot of things that were jacked up. Do you realize that I wrote um, them and asked them for the FOIA information? Do you know they have not given it to me yet? They've not responded to FOIA? And that was four years ago? They have not. Yeah, see, that's a problem. Okay. Not only that, um, I did recently, um, during this campaign thing that was going on with this new, you know, and I see Spamberger one again, um, I did... um, uh, one of her people did finally reach back out to me. Now, they sent a letter, which they asked the IRS so far for, you know, for your information, and we're still waiting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you hiding? I have a right to that information. Mm-hmm. My friend, uh, Steve, you know, actually wrote a letter as well. We're still waiting. What are you hiding? Mm-hmm. I want to know what are you hiding. I even wrote, I even wrote two letters, one certified letter to the current administration, to the current president, and wrote a letter to the vice president. Do you not call a bit to that White House? Those people are just as rude as they want to be. Mm-hmm. And they gave me no information. Well, there's nothing that we can do about it. Or we have a person that's a veteran. Are you kidding me? Nothing. I can't get any answers. Not one answer. Mm. This is, again, we care about our veterans. Mm. Well, what about the widow? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anybody care about the widow? 
That's why I'm so disappointed in these organizations right now, these politicians. I have truly been left behind. And we don't want to go here with the political piece of uh, Black Lives Matter. Well, obviously, you know I'm black right now. You're looking at me right now, sitting here on this podcast. Well, I am. I'm, I can see you. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. You know, but I forgot. There's, there's no sensationalism with this. Right. I even wrote Ben Crump. Yes, I did. Ben Crump, the Black Lives Matter um, ambulance chaser. And they w- were not interested in your story. Oh, wow. Not interested in my story. This was a black Navy officer. He was an mm-hmm. Eagle Scout. And we, th- we raised three Eagle Scouts on top of that. Yeah. But we don't care. We don't That's care. That's they look at it. They don't care. They have no, didn't care anything about me at all. And again, don't, don't get me started on these politicians again. Uh, and, and like I said, Tunnelsville Towers, I'm just disappointed in them, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the funny thing is, you know, I'm going to end with this thing right here. When I called them, I was trying to just get some help with my floors. If I can just get them to help me or something, because I was just in such distress. And I remember seeing a commercial not too long ago with a lady that, uh, they were showing, you know, we pay for her house and yada, 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 yada. And, and the woman, her husband died in combat. No, he was, I think her husband was a police officer, but she didn't have no children. So that shows to whoever I spoke to, they lied. Or, Do you have any kids? Mm-hmm. You know, is there, did your husband die in combat or what have you? So wait a minute. So which one is it? These organizations are full of it. Full of it. Yeah. And I, that's pretty cold way. Again, even when you can't help people, there's a way that you can talk to people and and at least point them in. Like if if you legitimately cannot help someone with their issue, then there's a way that you can you can point them in the right direction or point them to somebody that, that can help you. But just to say, hey, look, there's nothing we can do for you. You know, um, you know, asking you those questions and then then walking off. That's not the w- the way to do it. Because right. there, there, I am sure there's someone out there that can help. But what it does, and you know, and I, and I really like, and and I, I, we're gonna have to end yeah. on this. But I think this is like the key takeaway. Uh, I am so sorry that this happened to you. Absolutely yeah. so sorry. But I believe, and I know that you're a woman of faith. Mm-hmm. That sometimes these things are used by God to motivate us to help others, so they don't experience the same thing. Right. Yes. And and I think that the, the our life experiences are used to yes. be that catalyst because then you you are able to create something that did not exist before this happened. Yes. And I think that you're you're a powerful force uh, in doing that. And I do think that a pressure needs to be put on the the IRS to to get you the answers because to me the way I look at it is it's it's a big issue for you, yes. but it's even it, it demonstrates a bigger issue in yes, the IRS, is. and that is that if we can't you know we have these massive federal organizations that that claim to do very complicated things and the irs has no problem getting in our life whenever they want to absolutely and then and if you can't and here's what i'll say anybody from the irs listening to this if you can't get to the bottom of this issue then maybe we need to get rid of you and find somebody that can okay Amen on i remember brother. i had a commanding officer uh, one time uh say that to me he would have we would have young officers like myself um and others, we kept going to this committing officer with every little problem, every little problem that was going on. They would, 
they would they would go to the the commanding officer with you know and, and the commanding officer is running this this squadron and I remember he came in one day and he just he said to all the young junior officers he says let me let me let me uh, explain something to you guys um, I have you here as young officers to help me run this squadron mm-hmm. and I empower you I give you the authority to deal with all these um, issues mm-hmm. and the vast majority of them you should be able to fix, all right? Because we, we push the chain of command down. The yes. problem is the federal government today, they're trying to push everything up. But it goes down, you know, uh, authority given to the lowest possible level. Yes. And by the time you come to me, you better have, but when you tell me, hey, boss, I need this fixed and you're the one that needs to fix it, then you better demonstrate to me and show me how you went through every possible uh, potential solution exactly. and how it won't work. And I am the, I'm truly the one that has to fix it. That's but short it. of that, you guys need to remember this. I need you to help me run this squadron. That's it. And if you can't, if you're not in for the job, come in here, let me know, come into my office, let me know, and I'll get rid of you and I'll find somebody that can. Okay. And that's what we need in these organizations because this is not rocket science. And to four, four years to respond to a FOIA request that uh, is in something that, that's really kind of simple, mm-hmm. that is completely unsat. Now, if yeah. you're with the IRS and you hear this and you disagree with me, you're, you're welcome to come on the program and we'll have a conversation about that. And you can explain to me why it takes that long to do those things because I'm not buying it. Yeah. And why do you have this widow sitting here? I still have no answers. Mm-hmm. I don't have closure. Obviously, you can tell from me telling the story, I'm still crying, still grieving. Mm-hmm. I moved on with my life. You know, I've accepted the death, but I cannot accept how he passed away. And I need answers. Mm-hmm. And I want the IRS to sit down. Don't send me a punk letter, but you sit mm-hmm. here and you sit in front of my face. I deserve some respect as a, as a widow. I deserve some respect as somebody's wife that that veteran did have a family. I mm-hmm. deserve the respect that is due to me. Mm-hmm. You sit down and you tell me exactly what happened. People can do, we do better with closure. You look them in their face and mm-hmm. say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The, here are the chain of events of what transpired and you deserve to know the truth. I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. No matter what the truth is. Yes. Exactly. And then, the then we move on and that's on. And that's what, that's the problem that we have right now is we are not honest with one another. And these politicians that you're dealing with are not honest. They're with not, you. they're not. And uh, now we're not, we're not naming here the politician, but we could, we, we could definitely, well, I'd be we happy to name them if you would like, but you know, I yeah. mean, uh, the, the, the guy that lied, that straight up lied to me when it came to me. Uh, and I remember he was running for a campaign. That was Bryce Reeves. Mm. He lied to my friend that was helping him with his campaign. He surely did. Mm. Oh, well, I'm going to help. Um, I sent help for her, for her floors. No, you lied. You didn't call me. And the only reason why he called me is right after I told my friend that he was help that she was helping him. And she said, I'm shocked because he told me that he called just no, he did not. And even when he called me, he was so cold about it. He was talking about something else. And then he sent somebody over that wanted to charge me a gazillion dollars. If I told you that it took me forever and a day to get those benefits and things of that nature in my home and I was lacking in funds, why would you send somebody over to charge me? Mm-hmm, Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Whatever happened to helping your fellow man? Whatever happened? Hey, look, I am also a former um, veteran and I'm here to help this former veteran that has passed on and I'm going to help his family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't get any of that. And like I said, I'm not dogging wounded warrior. 
They, I'm sure they do a tremendous job. But the guy even admitted, he said, well, I, I don't even have a list to give you. I don't need, he said, we've never been faced with this. Mm-hmm. And I, I was faced with a lot that nobody could help me. Nobody well, and, could and help that's, me. And that's an area. That's an area to be looked at is how maybe even creating an organization absolutely to, to help people. They need yeah. to. They yeah. need to. So I would like whoever that wins whatever campaign, I am bucking for, and I'm saying <laughs> I am bucking for the widows and widowers to the veterans that mm-hmm. have passed on. And I'm ready to sit at the round table. I don't want to hear not one word talking about a gold star member. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's at 0.33%. They're mm-hmm. good. You got a half a million dollars. You can move on with your well, life. And there's organizations for that. And right. there's there's organizations for that. And, and that what we're talking about, this is expanded. I think this is an area that is a bigger area. It affects much more people, uh, many more people, but it hasn't been addressed. And uh, and I'm I, I, I'm glad that we do everything that we do for the Gold Star families. We need to, but there right. there are others. And I I just you know. My experience with this is uh, we had a family member that completed suicide, um, active duty member, and uh, there were some things that were done for him and for the family, but not near enough, not near enough. And and I won't go into all the details of that event because that would be another show for another day. But that was really the first time my eyes were opened up that, wow, um, there was some behavior that was somewhat cold you know, towards, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's something that we need to look at as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, hey, yeah, if sure. anybody wants to get hold of you on some of your socials, we, we talked about them, but anything in particular that if somebody wants to get hold of you, Dr. Williams, how would they do that? Well, they can call my office, which is at um, 540-898-2020. I am physically in the building. I hate to say this. I'm physically in the building on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, which I am very busy all day long. Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays, I actually work from home doing virtual therapy sessions, but I do respond. Um, I'm too scared to put the cell phone out there, but if you call my office, you will hear my, my, if you need to get a hold of me, they'll tell you to call my cell phone. Or you'll get back to them. Right. Oh, yeah. And if you want to get in contact with us um, through our actual um, email, you can go up on um, www.angelorecoverycenter.org. And then you can also go to, um, matter of fact, we also have our email out there, which is um, angelorecoverycenter at verizon.net. Now, is that Angel? Angelo, Angelo, A-N-G-E-L-O, Angelo, Angelo. and I named that center after my brother, which died in 2003 of a, of a overdose um, on opioids. And I made a promise um, that I would name my very first center after my brother. So originally we started out doing nothing but substance abuse, but we, I've been beyond, I have expanded beyond that. We do substance abuse as well as mental health services Mm -hmm. as well. That's phenomenal. And you're going to come back and we're going to do a podcast on that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, going back again, the book that we just, that I just finished up, it's um, called The Shepherd's Pie. It's got a a little bit of mental health piece in there. It's a snippet of my life a little bit. Um, And um, anybody who purchased that book, you can get off of Amazon, but you got to put my name in for whatever reason may be. If you put in Dr. Bridget Y. Williams, The Shepherd's Pie, it's a metaphor. You will see a person saying it with a pie, but every, all proceeds go directly again towards my actual widows and widowers to the veterans and we have a group every wednesday at at one o'clock it's free of charge it doesn't cost them a dime is that done online 
or is that in person? It's in it's in person. Okay, so they can contact your office and figure out. Yeah, the and if they want a book, I'd be happy that. to autograph. They'd want to if even if they want to call our office, we do have books there as well. We can we'll be happy to autograph um, the whole nine yards, and I'll send them to you because a lot of people remember seeing me when the governor that picture went around, went around the whole state of Virginia. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was because of me, by the way, uh, <laughs> for that, um, for the actual di- disabled veteran tag. Yeah. And again, the other one is getting ready to come down the pike. We passed that bill as well. So oh, I'm, I'm so to, excited. And I'm looking forward to passing bills with you as well. Yes. I, You're going to get me into the Senate. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Please. And by all means, if you yeah. if you need somebody at that round table to talk about them widows or help create something, please You're remember there. me because I'm there for you are there so everybody thanks again for joining us here again this is mike van meter the mike van meter show and you know everybody this is we are talking about liberty freedom the constitution and frankly i think just how you ought to live your life that's the way Mm -hmm. i look at it and uh, so with that dr bridget y williams thanks again for joining us on the show and look forward to having you again all right and i am looking forward to coming back all right you take care okay bye-bye